Good morning, church family. Thank you so much for tuning in to Facebook Live. Before I was standing up here, I was on myself looking at the names of people watching and people commenting, and it's so good for me to be reminded that I'm preaching to an audience, even though the audience is not in front of me. There's a few volunteers, and Pastor Ben's family is here, and I'm glad that they're in the building, but um, the rest of you are online. You're watching this from home, and it's good for me to be reminded that there are real live people on the other side of what I'm looking at as a camera, what you're looking at as your screen. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Park Community Church, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning as we continue our Advent study, the four words of Advent. Last week, we talked about hope. This week, we are talking about peace. The Bible Project did a great job of describing and defining biblical peace for us. Let's be reminded of what it is. It's shalom, the Hebrew Old Testament word for peace, and irene, the, the Greek New Testament word for peace. It means completeness or wholeness. And the Bible Project defined peace in this way. It says, true peace requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. That's the biblical concept of peace, and it's quite different and much deeper than our worldly concept of peace. Peace is a common word in our vernacular. It's a word that we often use, and and I think culturally, we usually think of the word of peace with like peace and quiet, right? Peace on earth, world peace, and the images in our mind are, are, are something more like just this kind of calm sense where we're sitting by a lake or a river, uh, peace like a river, right? That's a song and a phrase that we use, and there's some, there's some overlap between that image of peace, just kind of this quietness, this calmness, this lack of chaos or conflict, but biblical peace goes much deeper than just that. And as the Bible Project said, it really requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. And so this morning, as we talk about peace, as we consider this word in the second week of Advent, I want to ask three questions. I want you, yourself, to ask three questions this morning. What in my life is broken? How does Jesus restore that brokenness to wholeness? And then how do I personally live as a peacemaker? Three questions we're going to walk through. What in my life is broken? I want you to ask that for yourself. How does Jesus restore those areas of brokenness to wholeness in your life? And then how do you live as a peacemaker? So we're going to start with the first one here. What in my life is broken? Take some time thinking about that for yourself. What's broken in my life is a little bit different than what's broken in your life, but I think we can put all of our brokenness into three categories, and we actually see this in Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to turn to Genesis chapter 3 this morning and walk through it. It's a common passage that we talk about often here at our church. If you're unfamiliar with it, go and read it after this, but consider that as we see a, a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience of God, their creator, is that instantly upon their disobedience, there's brokenness in life, in God. God's good creation, in God's whole creation, in God's complete creation, there was peace on earth prior to Adam and Eve's disobedience. And instantly upon their disobedience, there's four different things that were broken. Their relationship to God. You see this in Genesis chapter 3, after they eat the forbidden fruit, all of a sudden they're afraid of God and they're hiding from God. There's a broken relationship with God. There's a broken relationship with self. They become aware that they are naked and they feel shame and they clothe themselves. There's some kind of shame attached to their body. There's the first body shaming, body image issues, their relationship with each other. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve start turning on each other. 
You'll notice as you read this story that when God comes to Adam and he asks him why he ate of this fruit, Adam says, the woman that you gave me made me do it. Blaming. They start blame shifting. And then their relationship with creation as God comes and tells them the results of the fall, we see that there's going to be pain and toil and labor with work. And so Genesis chapter 3, it captures all of this, a broken relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. I think these four categories describe what's broken in all of our lives. It may look different for each one of us, but if we're honest with ourselves and if we really do some heart searching and some soul searching, if we slow down and stop and listen to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to convict us and to reveal things in us, we're going to realize that we have a broken relationship with God We have a broken relationship with self. We have broken relationships with others. And we have broken relationship with creation. Broken relationship with God. I mean, just consider that all the religions of the world strive and work. And and their effort is to try and appease their God. Whatever God it may be, regardless of religion, even within Christianity, even though we believe in Christianity, the the unique gospel, the good news of Christianity is that you are not saved by works. You cannot please Yahweh, your holy God. Jesus has to step in your place and bring you back into right relationship with God. That's the peace of God that's given to us through Jesus. That's unique to Christianity. But even within Christianity, so often we, we, we... are reminded of our broken relationship with God and, and our, even our faith is filled with this. I mean, think about some of our Christian traditions. Like, you have to go to confession to get right with God. Now, the Bible calls us to confess our sins and, and to repent of our sins and we will be healed. But there's certain sects of Christianity that would say you have to go to confession. Maybe, maybe you've received Hail Marys before. Maybe you grew up in the Catholic tradition and, and you were told that in order to, to be right with God, you had to do some Hail Marys. A lot of our Christian practices incorporate good works in a way where we're actually trying to do enough good to outweigh our bad because we have to appease or, or keep this holy God happy with us and so we can outweigh our bad works by good works. Or maybe praying properly or believing the the right theological doctrines. God will be more happy and pleased with me if I understand him in these certain ways or if I line up with these certain camps or blood sacrifices. And these apply to different religions of the world. I remember a couple years ago talking when Brittany and I first moved to St. Louis Park. We were living in an apartment just down the street from here and I was talking with a Muslim neighbor of mine and he was just saying, man, I hope Allah's pleased with me. I'm trying to do all of the things that I can to do good works and to keep Allah happy. And man, I just, I just, I don't know if he is. And, and I don't want to die unsure if Allah is happy with me or not because I don't want to be judged. And so therefore, I'm trying to be the best person that I can. This reveals our broken relationship with God. And many irreligious people even, they, they live their lives kind of wondering, is there a higher power out there? And is that higher power, power out there mad at me? Is he displeased with me? Because we sense this brokenness between us and the higher power. We know as Christians that this higher power is Yahweh, the one true God. But we, we live in this world where we know that something has gone wrong between us and the creator. There's brokenness in our relationship. Also, there's brokenness with self. I don't know what it is for you, but there's many different examples of this in life. Eating disorders, substance abuse and addiction, self-hatred or self-love, mental illness, 
I mean, the list goes on and on and on of examples of broken relationships with ourselves. Sit with that for a while this week. What about relationships with others? You don't have to look very hard to find examples of how this is true, that in our world there's so much brokenness in our relationships, not just with God, not just with self, but also with others. How many families in this political and COVID season are starting to see divisions and brokenness in their own families? How about in the church? How about in community groups? How about in the workplace? How about in your neighborhoods? Broken relationships everywhere and and fracturing and dividing relationships everywhere. And then lastly, what about relationship with creation? I mean, in Genesis 3, as a result of the fall, we see that man will toil and work and labor to get produce, to get crops to come from the ground. This is still true. This is why work is so hard, be it agricultural work or be it technological work. Producing an income and producing food, producing the things that are necessary for life takes work and effort and toil. And on top of that, we have things like famines and droughts and tsunamis and tornadoes and wildfire. Clearly, our relationship with our creation, there's some brokenness there. And so I want you to just think for yourself this morning. Think of some specific examples of brokenness in your life and write them down. What in your life, what evidences of a broken relationship with God, with self, with others, or with creation are there in your life? Write them down so that we can deal with them in a little bit. And we are going to get into some specific scriptures this morning about how Jesus offers us peace. But before we do, I just I really want you to spend some time considering where is Where are the areas of brokenness in my life? And is it really true that Jesus has come to restore, to heal, to bring peace, to bring wholeness or completeness to the broken places of my life? So secondly, the question, how does Jesus restore me? If there is evidence of brokenness in my life, practically speaking, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, how does Jesus restore me? I mean, those are a couple questions that we have to answer. Biblically, theologically, how does he restore me? And then practically, in the day-to-day, how does Jesus actually restore me? Because I, I feel like I'm living in a world that's lacking peace, and I feel personally like I'm lacking peace. And so, is all of this Jesus talk just garbage? Is it fake, or is it real? How does Jesus restore me? Well, four specific ways. The same way that we're broken, we have a broken relationship with God, with self, with others, with creation. Jesus comes to offer us peace, to bring wholeness, to bring completeness between us and God, us and ourselves, us and others, and us and creation. Obviously, we're not living this out perfectly right now, correct? I mean, even as this, that first point to think through your areas of brokenness and identify those, hopefully as you do, now you look at this and you're like, but, but, but I'm lacking peace with God. I'm lacking peace with self. I'm lacking peace with others. I'm lacking peace with creation. What I want to do now is just stop and look at some scriptures and allow God's word to speak to us about how Jesus restores us, how Jesus brings peace, wholeness, and completeness into our lives. The good news, the gospel word for us this morning is that Jesus really does bring wholeness or completeness or peace between you and God. Jesus really does bring peace, wholeness, completeness between you and yourself. 
Jesus really does offer peace, completeness, wholeness between you and others. Jesus really does bring peace, wholeness, completeness between you and creation. And I want you to see this in Scripture. So we're going to start with Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Please open up your Bible, get your eyes on God's Word now, because this is the most important piece of the sermon, is for you to see how God's Word instructs us about peace. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, a very familiar Christmas Advent text here. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. This word good news is evangelical. It's where we get our word evangelical. It's euangelion. It means the gospel, the good news. The angels came proclaiming this good news. For a people who are living in a broken world, a world broken with God, with self, with others, with creation, here comes the good news. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, here's this, this evidence, one of the first evidences of Jesus coming to bring peace, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness and completeness to a broken people. A people who have a broken relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. A people who have a broken relationship with self. A people who have a broken relationship with others. And a people who have a broken relationship with creation. Jesus comes, we're told, by the angels who are singing his praises, who are ushering in his birth, singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. On earth, wholeness. On earth, completeness. There's a key here, though among those with whom he is pleased. See, the peace of Jesus Christ is inclusively offered to all. It says so in verse 10. The angel said, verse 10, it says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This, this evangelical news, this, this good news, this good proclamation about the coming Son of God, the Messiah, the chosen Savior of God, that he would bring peace is good news available to all. It's an inclusive offer to all people, but it's only exclusively applied to those who would put their faith in him. See how verse 10 says, good news for all people? But then verse 14, it says, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And so we're living in this world where there's a lack of peace, where regardless of your faith, regardless of your religion, regardless of your tradition, everybody wants peace, right? I mean, I remember back in the day, there was the Miss American pageant. That's like super offensive and degrading to women. What? I can't believe that's a culture that we grew up in, but it existed. And all of these Miss American pageants would always say, whenever they won, I want, I want world peace, right? Peace on earth, it's the cry of our heart. 
our Christmas songs talk about peace, peace on earth, peace on earth. We want calm. We want stillness. We want lack of conflict. We want, we want relationships that are reconciled. And the world is striving and toiling for these things. But we're told here in this passage that peace is an exclusive gift for those with whom God is well pleased. So hear me this morning. If you're not a Christian, put your faith in Jesus and you will begin to experience and receive the peace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian who is lacking peace, you have forgotten that Jesus has come to give you peace, to give you wholeness, to make you complete, and you've probably forgotten that God is well pleased with you. See, this is, this is an exclusive gift for those are, who are in Christ. We talked about this last week as we looked at the, the word hope. That when we are in Christ, God is well pleased with us. Last week, the text that we looked at, it said of Jesus, this prophecy of Jesus, that, that God's soul is well pleased with Jesus. He says, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. God the Father is well pleased with Jesus the Son. Well, Christian, guess what? That's also true for you. This passage is reminding us that Jesus has come to bring peace on earth for the Christian. So this is a unique characteristic for believers, that we ought to be a people of peace. That in the midst of a world filled with conflict, with strife, with disagreement, with division, the Christians have peace, internal peace. We may not have calm. We may not have relaxation. We may not live in a world that's lacking conflict. We don't, and we know that. But here's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore you to God, to yourself, to others, and to creation. And he's birthing in you peace. If you are in Christ, God is pleased with you. And those with whom God is pleased, he grants peace to. This is a gift for Christians. Again, if you're not a Christian this morning tuning in, come to Jesus. He's got peace on earth for you. Over and over and over again, I hear testimony of people who come to Jesus and he begins to restore relationships. He begins to, and there's this prophecy in the book of Joel that says that I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. I know so many people who have wasted years wrestling with the brokenness with God, with self, with others, with creation. And as they come to Jesus, they begin to say, God's restoring me. He's making me new. He's granting me peace. He's bringing relationships back together that were torn apart by my sin, by my dysfunction, by my brokenness. And so Christian, be reminded that in Jesus there is peace and in in Jesus God is well pleased with you. Non-Christian, consider coming to Jesus and receiving his peace. Another passage that I want to look at here that that shows us how Jesus restores us is John chapter 14 and a passage in John chapter 16 as well. So flip over firstly to John chapter 14, verse 25. John 14, verse 25 through 27. Here's the words of Jesus with his disciples as he's preparing to go to his death. So the first one was was this prophecy in his birth that he will come to bring peace on earth. Now he's lived about 33 years. He's walking with his disciples. He's about to be crucified. And here's how he instructs them. John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace, arene, 
completeness, wholeness, I leave with you. My peace, my arene, my completeness, my wholeness, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How many of us are living right now with trouble in our hearts and fear controlling our lives? Hear me, church family. Jesus, in his own words, says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Peace doesn't come by a good, long, extended vacation. Peace doesn't come by the right laws and politicians. Peace doesn't come with a vaccine and the reopening of society or the church doors. Peace doesn't come with, with enforcing the, the life rule that you want. Jesus says, peace, verse 27, peace, wholeness, arene, completeness, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. The world's fighting for peace. They're trying to bring peace. They're, they're warring for peace. And here, this is a gift that Jesus has already established for us and given to us. Now flip over to John 16 and look at one more passage here in John. John 16, verse 32. Again, this is Jesus as he's with his disciples in the upper room. He, John chapter 17, he gives this amazing prayer for his disciples and for us, his disciples who are living 2,000 years after his life. Pick it up in verse 32 of chapter 16. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has now come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home. Where are you right now? You're not here in the church building. There's like eight of us here, and we're all six feet apart, masked. You're sitting in your own home watching church online. Jesus is not prophesying about this day. He's prophesying about the day when his disciples will be filled with fear because they're afraid of the Romans and the Jewish leaders coming after them because they're followers of Jesus. This, this, this radical, countercultural figure. And they're, they're afraid that because they were following him, because they devoted their lives to him, they gave up everything to follow this man who the Romans and the Jews all hated and crucified, that if they're identified with him, they're going to be killed as well. They're going to be martyred. And in fact, they all, almost all of them were. But, but notice here, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own, his own home. If you think you have a bad right now being scattered to your own home for a month because of the coronavirus, you, have, you need to wake up. These people are scattered into their own homes because they're afraid for their lives. Many of them were killed for following Jesus in the years to come. They were scattered to their own home in real fear. You're scattered to your own home to try and stop a virus or slow a virus or contain a virus. Stop whining, please, church family. It's hard. I don't like it. But man, what a call for us to wake up that Jesus' early followers, they're spread out to their own homes in a world that wants to kill them and, as I said, in the coming years, would actually kill them. We're not allowed to go to restaurants and bars for a month. And Jesus goes on. He says, I will, you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, 
Jesus is about to be crucified. The disciples scatter, they run, they hide. Yet, I'm not, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. That same truth is true for you, Christian. Regardless of where you are, scattered, alone, God, your heavenly Father, is with you. You are his son or daughter, and with you, he is well pleased. Pick it up at verse 13. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may have completeness. You may have wholeness. In who? In the politicians? In our economy? In our savings account? In our mandates and restrictions being lifted? In us getting that better job we were hoping for? Getting that spouse that we were longing for? No, in me, in Christ, you may have peace. He goes on to tell us what's so true for most Christians around the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. And again, that word there, tribulation, it, it means pressure coming from the outside, stirring the inside. You're doubting if your faith is sure because of all these things that are coming at you. And most people who read this verse, other than American Christians, have, throughout the centuries have experienced real tribulation, real persecution, real pressure from people who want to kill them for being followers of Jesus. He says, in this world, here's his promise. Jesus has promised us this. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have persecution. You will have adversity. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Who's your hope in? Where are you searching for peace? Lastly, let's look at one more passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 as you're due, as you're flipping there. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is, is just an amazing passage. Read that on your own today. It talks about how God reconciles us to himself through Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works. Remember, you can't repair your relationship with God by your own works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, 9, and 10. But then on this aspect of peace, let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. And here he's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, most of us who make up our community church. We were alienated, we were separated from God, but now in Jesus, we are brought near. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our irene. He himself is our wholeness. He himself is our completeness. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility he's talking about here is, is, is a racial and ethnic divide. Jews and Gentiles not getting along. The, the Jews didn't believe that the Gentiles were allowed in because, because Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. He's a Jewish man. It's been promised to the Jews for ages. And Jesus comes and he opens up the door for anyone to come and follow him and to be considered his chosen people. 
And so here, this, this passage is reminding us that Jesus offers peace between us and others, regardless of skin color, regardless of culture, regardless of background. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Pick it up in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. In Jesus, there is this new humanity, one new man, so making peace, so making irene, so making completeness, wholeness. God reconciling people, bringing them into right relationship with himself, with themselves, with others, and with creation. Verse 16, and he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace, irene, completeness, wholeness, to you who were far off and peace to those who you were near, to those who were near. He, he preached completeness and wholeness to the Gentiles who were far off, to the godless, to the God-haters, and to those who are near, to the Jews, or to the religiously inclined, or the religiously moral, or the religiously traditional, those who think God is pleased with them, Jesus came and he preached peace. No, 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 no. God's not pleased with you because of your works. God's pleased with you because of Jesus. Those of you who are far away, who are like, I've, I've never stepped my foot in a church. I don't care about religion. I, I've been cursing God my whole life. Jesus came to offer you peace, rightness, wholeness with God. Those who are far off and those who are near. Verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you hear that verse? If you're in Christ, you've been given peace, the peace of God through the person of Jesus Christ. You're no longer a stranger, an alien. You're a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You wrestle with sin. We all do. That's not your identity. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. I said that four times because you don't believe it. Most of us don't believe it. I'm a sinner who needs to do better. I need to try harder. I need to please God more. No, your identity is that of a saint. A saint, a saint, a saint. And you have been joined to the household of God. This is what Jesus does. Here's the reality, church. Peace has been purchased for us. If you're in Jesus Christ, peace has been purchased, packaged, and delivered to you. To experience it, you simply need to practice living in it. And this is what's true of the gospel, of all of these words, hope, peace, joy, love, the coming weeks are what we're going to talk about. If you are in Jesus, you're a saint. We just looked at the scriptures that Jesus said, my peace I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace is a gift that Christians have. You don't have to go find it. You have it. We have to figure out how to practice living in it. 
Now, I would love to give you all these great examples of how to practice living in it, because that's naturally where our mind goes. Okay, great. I understand the theological, biblical truth that I have peace, but I'm not experiencing peace. So, pastor, help me to learn how to practice living in it. I don't know. What it's going to take is for you to spend some time with God, asking him to reveal to you areas of brokenness in your life that he has already purchased peace for, and saying, God, how do you want me to live into peace? I can't tell you. That's the hard work that you have to do with the Holy Spirit, with the scriptures, letting God reveal to you areas that you're not trusting him, that you ought to start trusting him. Letting God reveal to you areas of brokenness in your life that he says, this area is a broken area. You're living in brokenness, but I've came to give you peace. I've purchased peace for you. I've packaged peace for you. I've delivered it to you. And now you need to practice living in what is true of you. You have peace. You have peace with God. You have peace with self. You no longer have to please God. He's pleased. You no longer have to hate yourself or love yourself. For God has reconciled you to himself. How about your relationships with others? How many names can you write down of people that you have a broken or fractured relationship Guess what? Jesus has purchased peace, wholeness, completeness for that relationship. How can you practice living in the peace, the wholeness, the completeness that Jesus has given you? Peace with creation. He's purchased it for you. How can you practice living in it? So lastly, I do want to ask this question. Now, how do I live as a peacemaker? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We've been talking about these last couple of weeks that our identity is in God. We've, we've, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. If you are in Jesus Christ, he is well pleased with you. You are a son or a daughter of God, and your identity is that of a peacemaker. A peacemaker is different than a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper just doesn't want to rock the boat. A peacekeeper swish, sweeps issues under the rug. A peacekeeper ignores issues, minimizes issues, doesn't deal with issues. A peacekeeper runs into brokenness, runs into discord as a person who brings the wholeness, the completeness of God, or, or at least makes an effort to bring the peace of God into the situation. And so how do you live as a peacemaker? First one is to simply remember that if you're in Christ, peace has been purchased for you and you need to practice living in it. I already hit on this point. I can't tell you what it is for you to practice living in peace. What I can tell you to do is spend some time with God this week asking him to reveal it to you. Carve out some time, mornings, evenings, nights, afternoons. It doesn't matter. If you're serious about this, don't expect me to give you a list of things that you should do. Spend time with God, asking God to reveal to you, how do I make peace with people? How to become a peacemaker? How do I practice living in what you've purchased for me? The second thing I have on here is, is to do what you can as far, as far as it depends on you to live at peace with all. This is from Romans chapter 12, 18, a direct quote. Brittany and I use this in all of our premarital counseling because uh, we were counseled in this way, and it's so helpful. Somebody told us once, if you're responsible for 5% of an argument, own that 5%. Don't point at the other person's 95% of the issues. You own your 5% of the argument. Somebody told us that 
in connection with this verse, and we try to share it with every couple that we do premarital counseling with, because this is the truth of Scripture, that if you want to live as a peacemaker, you are a peacemaker if you're in Jesus Christ. He's given you peace, and he's called you to go out as a peacemaker in his world. How do you do that? First of all, you remember who Jesus is and what he's done, what you have in him. Secondly, do what you can as far as it depends on you to live at peace with all. Take responsibility for yourself, your actions, your thoughts, your words, your judgments, your criticisms, and do everything that you can as far as it depends on you to bring completeness and wholeness into your relationships with others. And then lastly, proclaim the gospel of Jesus in both word and deed. Proclaim the good news As we saw in Luke chapter 2, this is good news for all of people. The world that so desperately longs for peace, peace on earth, is only going to get a glimpse of peace from Christians. Because as we saw in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth for those with whom he is well pleased. Peace, biblical peace, true peace, is a gift for Christians. It's something that we have living in us, hopefully growing in us and spilling out of us. And as we go out into the world, into our relationships with our own family, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our community groups, with our enemies, we go out proclaiming the gospel, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus in both word and deed. This means we talk about Jesus and the peace that he brings. This this means that we have to war for and fight to practice the peace that God has already given us so that when people ask us why we can go through such adversity, such trial, such tribulation with peace, we can say, well, because Jesus has given me peace. I'm not fearing what's about to happen or what might happen And I'm not complaining about what's currently happening because Jesus has given me this deep, internal, deep-seated peace. This peace that transcends all understanding. This wholeness, this completeness in my soul that come hell or high water, my future is secure. And so we need to proclaim peace, but we also need to be workers of peace peacemakers who do things that would aid towards peace. This means if you're in the wrong, you ask for forgiveness. This means that if someone else is in the wrong and they ask for your forgiveness, you forgive them. This means that if you stole from somebody, you return to them what you stole. This means that if you've taken advantage of somebody, you try and return it or or take care of it or deal with it. This means if you have conflict in your relationships, you do, number two, as far as it depends on you to live at peace with all. Again, I don't know what it looks like for you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in both word and deed. I'm not in your life. I, I mean, we're a church, right? So hopefully we're in each other's lives. But I'm not in, nor can I be in the minutia of each one of your lives. I don't know who you're talking to on a daily basis and what you're doing on a daily basis. You need to spend time with God, your loving Father, who's fully pleased with you, who's given you the gift of peace and saying, God, how do you want me to live my life as a peacemaker? How can I, in any and every situation, proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the peace of God in the person of Jesus, both with my words and with my actions, with word and deed? And war for that church family, fight for that, fight 
to practice living in the peace that you've been given. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come up and just close us out with a song about peace. As they do, just sit where you're at and and consider the words that they're singing and consider this biblical rich truth about what peace is. Thank God that you have peace if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, consider coming to him. If you are in Christ, thank God that you have peace and then ask him to reveal to you ways that you can live as a peacemaker. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you lived the perfect life that we're incapable of living that you died the sacrificial death that we deserve. We thank you for granting us peace. Peace isn't just a concept that we are working for. It's not just an ideal that we want. If we're in you, it's a reality that's been granted to us. And so help us to learn how to live in your peace and to bring your peace to bear in our relationships and here on earth. And Jesus, you specifically said, it said about you, the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, that there will be peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. Lord, we're Christians, we're in Christ. We believe that you are well pleased with us. Would you please give us the supernatural gift of peace in our relationships? With you, with self, with others, and with creation. We love you, Jesus. Have your way in us.